Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a couple pastor scholars dig into the Word of God using a seasonally appropriate scripture passage. We hope that it will be enjoyable and edifying for all and equipping, especially for pastors and teachers who are working on sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary and Indiana Wesleyan University. My guest this week is Amanda Drury. Amanda's a regular on the show, a professor of practical theology and youth ministry at Indiana Wesleyan University, the director of the Imaginarium, the founder of the Brain Kitchen, and a whole bunch of other neat things that she does, and author of a handful of books. Uh, so keep an eye out for the stuff she's got out there. Our text this week is Judges chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Judges chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. And we get into all of chapter 4 and 5 over the course of the, the episode. But Judges 4, 1 through 7 is our focus text. Make sure to subscribe if you're not already so you never miss an episode. And as you're listening, if you enjoy the show, hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice to pass the show on to others so that they may benefit as well. And you can click on the link in the show notes if you want to support the show financially. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Amanda. Judges 4, 1 through 7. After Ehud died, the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, a king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth, Hagoim. Because he had nine hundred iron chariots and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for twenty years, they cried to the Lord for help. Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites came to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinom, from Kedesh and Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take with you ten thousand men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead the way to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River, and give him into your hands. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word that spoke all things into being, and your word that was at work in Deborah as judge and liberator of your people. And for this written word handed down and preserved for us, that we may open it and see and hear the word of God in our own time. And so we ask that your word would come now among us, between Amanda and I, and among all those listening, even now, that your spirit would stir our hearts and minds to be open to receiving the word of God and might in turn uh, bear that word of God uh, for the sake of the world. We ask this all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, so what's uh, what's grabbing you as you look at this text? We only read a few verses, but um, we'll zoom in 
on these seven and maybe a little bit uh, beyond that here at the beginning. But what's what's grabbing your attention? Well, the the first thing is that there's some exciting stuff that happens right before this passage and right after this passage. And I think I tend to focus on those two stories. Uh, and so I read this passage and I'm realizing, I don't, yeah, I don't know that I've spent a lot of time with this particular passage. It seems like it's just a transitionary moment. It's not exciting as, you know, handles going into the rolls of fat of a king or tent pegs in someone's head. Right, right, right. I guess what stuck out to me here was in verse four. It says that she was leading Israel at that time. And, you know, sometimes I hear people talk about, well, this particular woman was in ministry because there was a vacuum in leadership or, uh, you know, this horrible thing. And she had to step up. But here it sounds like ah, she's already doing this. This isn't in, in response because of a failure of some man. This is, this is, it sounds like just who she is. Yeah, it's a matter of course, right? She right. was the judge. She would hold court. I liked that translation I in your too. NIV in verse 5. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's holding court under the palm, the palm of Deborah, and the people would come to her for judgment. Yeah, it's interesting. It's kind of – it's not always described. I mean, sometimes these characters get referred to as judges, but we don't actually see them – Holding court. <laughs> yeah. Whereas here you get a very clear description of the role that she was playing prior to the liberation assembly of a liberation army that comes, you know, that's a kind of second beat in the story. Yeah. And she was already a leader before this starts. And I'm just thinking through of other stories in the Old Testament. So often the men that are leading aren't in a position of leadership. They're called into it. Mm. So looking at Saul or David or uh, Gideon later in Gideon, Judges. yes, yes, Joshua. Um, well, maybe, maybe not so much Joshua because he was a, at least a spy beforehand. Yeah, and was was Moses' attendant even went up the mountain. Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So scratch that, that. Scratch that. Well, that would put her in the tradition of Joshua, right? More than the tradition of Moses. Yeah. Performing a, a leadership role of some kind. And she is married. Wife of Lipidoth, Lapidoth, who we don't hear about then again, but yeah, I'm interested in these, this sort of setup of the, the first couple verses strike me that, I mean, even though, I mean, like my Bible, yours might as well, has a heading that's called Barak, Deborah and Barak, because a lot of the headings in Judges are after the kind of main character, the judges of right. the story. <laughs> but here, as is often the case, the the narrative actually begins with the the enemies of Israel. Yeah. That's actually yeah. what gets the action going. You know, the, the people of Israel, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died, right? So Ehud, we had earlier an 80 years of rest um, is mentioned back mm. in uh, – Verse 30 of chapter 3. Sure, sure. Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. But then after Ehud's gone, they, they you know, fall into evil again. And so the Lord lets them, sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor, and the commander of his army was Sisera. And so then that's this interesting little observation that there's this kind of pair on both sides. You first get the the king, Jabin, and his commander, Sisera. 
And then when we get to Israel's side, it's Deborah, though not named king or queen. It's prophetess Mm -hmm. and judge. Mm -hmm. And then Barak, who is going to play the role of the sort of general of the army, as it were. So there's a kind of, I don't know, seems like there's an intentional kind of parallelism. Yeah. Establishing these two pairs Hmm. opposite each Hmm. other. No? Am I reading that? No, I see that. I see that. Yeah, it's fun to to imagine the scene, you know, we'll, we'll get and we'll keep going on if we'd like, but just the years, maybe for a long period of time, having Deborah, you know, sitting under this particular tree as the person that, and it says that the people of Israel came to her for judgment, not just fellow Ephraimites, not just right, the nearby, right. but, but, but she was kind of the, the Supreme Court. Uh, for for the nation of Israel for this season. It immediately makes me want to be curious, like, how long? Yeah. I was just w- wondering how old Deborah was, hmm. because I tend to picture her this old, wise woman, but that's not necessarily the case. I mean, she could be 25 years old, 30 years. I mean, she doesn't have to be old here. That's a good point. It doesn't say, does it? I mean, at the ver- we tend to imagine in an ancient society, the authority that the elders would have. And that's true. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, these were very violent times. So people weren't always (laughs) living terribly long. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I know that in war-torn countries, you know, often the elders are 35 because there's so much, you know, a whole generation died off during a major conflict or something. So, yeah, I, I think that's helpful to not assume that she's old even and, though and i don't think we get the impression that the other judges are old necessarily huh yeah there might be some there might be a little sexism built into that I, yeah yeah, like, yeah well old old women can lead right i, oh, I yeah. could i could submit to a gray-haired woman gideon and ehud and samson, samson. we always picture these as young men yeah yeah mm-hmm. i think that's a good insight yeah so here's something that's very clear that maybe I hadn't noticed before. They were coming to her for judgment, which mm-hmm. side note, they're being oppressed by, you know, these Canaanites. And it could be that a lot of these issues that they're coming with are related to the Canaanites. And sure. there's nothing she could do about that. Huh. And it says, verse six, she sent and summoned Barak mm-hmm. and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, saying, Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, Zebulun, excuse me, and I'll draw out Sisera. I mean, it's so interesting. She doesn't say, you know, she's a prophetess. She could say, God has told me to tell you, Uh right? But it also doesn't say that he came to her and said, the Lord said this to me, does that sound right to you? But you get this funny question, right? Hasn't he said this to you? Hmm. Is that Does yours have it a lot different? Mine says, the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. Yeah, I wonder why my version... Now I want to check that. Check the Hebrew. Yup. Yeah, that's worth checking. Well, okay, so if it's in the form of a question, then the significance of that would be that you know, she was aware that he was, you know, uh, had been commanded to do this, uh-huh. but maybe he wasn't getting off his butt to do it. And yeah. she's kind of, you know, uh, calling him out and, you know, commending him to act it out. 
But now I want to look it up. Yeah, it definitely opens with a negative. So, you know, has not God Adonai of Israel commanded? Yeah, so it's definitely in the form of a of a question. Okay. Um, so it's not framed as a direct revelation. It's kind of a, a follow-up. It huh. makes me wonder huh. if there's a whole story behind this. You know, maybe maybe he came and she delivered this prophecy to him a year before. Right. And he still hasn't done it. Yeah, yeah. I, I just find that interesting. Well, I could, and I, I wish verse 8 was a part of this, too. Oh, let's, let's go straight there. Uh, so yeah. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Then she says, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And then he calls out this whole gang from Zebulun and Naphtali, which are from way up north, to come way down south there in, in, in Kadesh. So, yeah, that that question... And the possibility that there's a backstory here that's mm-hmm. kind of left. This is why it's like I'm always annoyed when I open up a a selected passage. Like lectionary gives me seven verses. I'm always initially annoyed. Like, oh, but the whole chapter is so good, right? <laughs> um, but then I'm usually grateful for it because it makes me stay there for a little bit. Because then I always yeah. can zoom out, yeah. which is what we'll do in the second section. Mm-hmm. I've been, but it kind of helped me notice that possibility since it is a question in the original you know, has not the Lord commanded you? She's a prophetess. People of Israel have been coming to her perhaps uh-huh. for a while. Who knows? Maybe there's a prior relationship here. Maybe there was a revelation to him. Maybe he's kind of sitting on his hands. And verse, his question in verse 18 would fit that then, right? right kind right. of a, oh, I don't want to go unless you come. Kind of like there's some reluctance perhaps here. I don't yeah. want to read too much into it, but. So is her follow-up a sort of, I don't know, uh, a sort of rebuke for his request or was that going to happen all along? She's a prophetess and she knew it was coming and he's just, she's just kind of letting him know. I I see it as a rebuke. I will go with you, but because of the way you are going about this, the honor will not be yours. Yeah. I've always read it as a rebuke, but I've also felt kind of bad for Barack because I think if I were in his shoes, I would want that too. (laughs) The because is a little strong. The NIV's, Reading in a little bit, I think there, you know, it's, it's, uh, verse nine. She said, surely I will go with you. Nevertheless, nevertheless, uh, there will be no glory for you in the journey that you are taking. So it could be Hmm. because of the way that's maybe a idiom for, so the NIV is taking a, uh, making a decision there to take that yeah, as an idiot yeah. for the way you're doing this. Right. Right. Your so process. The, the rebuke is clearer in the NIV. ESV is a little vaguer. It's, and she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. Hmm. For the Lord to sell sister into the hand of a woman. But I can't help but think that Deborah may at this point think that she's the woman that's going to huh. be the, I mean, it's not a given like we're we know how yeah. the story's going to end yeah. is yeah. that this young woman, um, JL. yeah, well she might not be young either. Sorry, I'm, I always picture <laughs> her young, and but that might not be the case. That that's the woman who's going to be put into the hands of Cicero. But it's it's a fun thought to think that th- there may have been a kind of 
there might be a double irony here. Sure. Right? The first layer of irony is Barack's not getting in on the glory, but it might be that Deborah might be imagining, might be coming her way too. I don't know how that. Well, and, and maybe the bulk of the glory does go to Deborah at the end of this. I mean, she doesn't do the final blow, but she's she's the, the public face on this. Well, but the selling of Sisera into the hand of a woman. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let me put it this way. For the reader, and if you don't know the end of the story, you immediately would assume she she means her. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So to just assume that she also, that she knows better. Well, she also hasn't been to the end of the story. So uh-huh. Uh-huh. it's possible that she had wondered... So yeah, the glory is for God, and the glory goes to both of them in, in the in the song that comes in the next chapter. What do you make of in verse two? My my version says, "So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin." Mm-hmm. That that word "sold" it makes me wonder what what did God get out of this? You know, why not? <laughs> it gives it over, but he sold like it, it speaks of some kind of transaction. Yeah, well, interestingly, just camping on that is was that the other word you said you wanted to look up, or is that something? that was that was it. Because it's repeated in verse 9. The Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. It's Hmm. the same phrase. Does yours have that way? No, no. Yes, it's the exact same phrase. Now, this is a, I'm pretty sure this is a a stock phrase. I'll glance real quick in Judges. um, Let's see, it appears 80 times in the Old Testament. Okay. It appears how many times in Judges, though? We'll see. so it's every time it's judges two fourteen three eight four two four nine ten seven. So just a couple times, but it's always into the hand. Sold them into the hand. Hmm. Sold them into the hand. Sold them into the hand. Uh, so it's clearly a kind of stock phrase for. Um, yeah, what does God get out of that? That's kind of interesting. Well, I mean, He gets a lot out of it because this is. I mean, it's a. It sort of seems to. I mean, maybe this is too troubling of an image, but it has the sort of nature of they're his property, they're his servants, his slaves, hmm. and they act it out, and so he sells them off. Um, it's not a very pleasant image, but I think hmm. it's clearly in the in the form of a punishment. Yeah, sold them into the hand of. You're right, though. It almost gets the image like it's like you know. Adonai, like, you know. Counting his money as he walks away. Yeah, it goes up to King David, like, hey, I got these Israelites, and they, but they really stink, so I'll give them, I'll give them to you for a... 20 years. <laughs> low price, yeah. What are they giving me for 20 years? But I think that those kind of transactional images seem to be the kind of... That's the cultural world that they inhabit. And so I think that... I think it's just a stock phrase. I wouldn't make too much of it, but I think it does... Um. Yeah, what does God get out of it? That's actually a fun question. Well, I, we know ultimately what he gets out of it is they cry out to him for help, yeah. right? That's the that's the long-term strategy. Right? Yeah, yeah. And verse 3, actually, I keep coming back to, too. Because he had 900 iron chariots and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. There's a lot there. Hmm. Uh, I, I do wonder what would be the equivalent equivalency of 900 iron chariots today, because I'm Okay, I can read that. And yeah, that sounds like a lot. I'm sure I could do some study on iron and this and that and figure out just how powerful. So, I mean, I'm given the impression that this is really powerful. There there are powerful people, though I don't know that that line alone does justice to that. And then that they're crying out to the Lord for 20 years. Hmm. That's just one verse in this short passage. 
And it just strikes me as interesting that, that they've got 20 years of crying out. And it's during those 20 years when Deborah is, mm-hmm. is, is giving judgment, providing judgment. I, I, I want to sit with that for a minute. There's something there I can't put my finger on. I think so often I have images of either the Israelites being in charge or not being in charge. They're free or they're not free. And I think what we see with Deborah here is, even if we don't have the details, of, of serving God in occupied territory. Yeah. That, 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 there's, that there's a way of being faithful to Yahweh, even when everything else is, mm-hmm. is not or is falling apart. I mean, I mean, in some ways this has, uh, you can see a little bit of Daniel going off to, mm. you know, King Nebuchadnezzar and, and. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to speculate too much, but just the little I understand of this period in, in Israel's history, it's, it's very difficult, I think, for us to, cons- even though we know that Saul, David, that the having of the king was a new thing, mm-hmm. it's maybe hard for us to conceive of a pre-monarchical Israel and how it functioned. Okay. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Which is what the story, what we have in Joshua and Judges is a period where these are a loosely knit together set of 12 tribes that identify with each other as a single nation, mm-hmm. yet are spread out all over from Dan to Beersheba with three of the tribes on the other side of the Jordan. Yeah. Uh, and in every one of those regions, you've got Canaanites and Philistines all around in their own cities. And the alliance that these tribes have, which again, we just take for granted, oh, well, they're the 12 tribes of sons of Jacob, right? But I mean, most of the time, you're just interacting with other people in your tribe, Benjamin, Manasseh, sure. whatever. And even here, it comes out that go get these guys from Zebulun and Naphtali. I mean, it's possible you go up there and says, yeah, we don't want to do this fight. This is your fight, right? <laughs> uh-huh. And it's not even all 12 tribes being gathered, right? It's primary. It seems that this is an army of Zebulun and Naphtali, and maybe Barak has some of his own kind of special team, right? Right, right, So this right. isn't a full 12-tribe army. This is a kind of assembled team of allied tribal fighters um, who are dealing with this oppression. Because it says, you know, he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. I mean, that that oppression implies that they're, you know, that he, him and his army and his allied cities are dominating, you know, uh, placing them in, you know, various kinds of servitude economically and, you know, violating them hmm. through all kinds of raids and that kind of thing. Right. So that, that's all that has to mean. It doesn't have to mean that, that I guess what I'm trying to say is this isn't like Babylon, Assyria. This isn't another, you know, a, a massive empire coming and controlling a whole nation. Sure. This is, this is tribal warfare. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So it's, it's small little bands and groups working together. And so, that makes it all the more fascinating to image Deborah as performing this role as a judge without what appears to be any military power. Right. Yeah. Her jurisdiction is as prophetess and mm-hmm. judge, you know, while they're being dominated militarily by this Canaanite ruler. Mm-hmm. Looked like you were having some gears turn. What were you thinking there? Oh, I was just comparing 900 iron chariots to 10,000 men. Yeah. I'd take 900 chariots of iron. I think so too. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. this is, that's a, I mean, that's tanks, right? Yeah. To put the, 
Yeah. And yeah. iron versus like these 10,000 men are probably farmers who just, you know, got their pitchfork and made them a little sharper with a <laughs> right, stone. I mean, right. this is not, <laughs> these are not, per- that implies a standing army of professional soldiers. The 900 chariots does. <laughs> 10,000 doesn't. None of these are professional soldiers. There's no reason to think that. Maybe they needed 20 years of oppression to convince 10,000 of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, the question is how long were they crying out? Yeah, yeah, that's not, is it the whole 20 years? Is it just at the end of 20 years they're crying out? That's not clear. Or at the end of 20, he chooses to listen. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's very, it's vague. Yeah. Well, good. Let's take a quick break and come back and zoom out a little bit. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Amanda Drury, and we're looking at Judges chapter four. And now we're going to zoom out a little bit. I was wondering, short passage enough, do we want to maybe read just a little more to the end of the story and bring that in? Or did you want to go somewhere else in the book of Judges? Because we really, we only have one episode this year in Judges, so we can go anywhere we want, really. But Sure, sure. Yeah, let's keep going. And then I don't know that we want to get into it, but... Um... Chapter 5, too, has this long song of Deborah's, which I don't like songs anyway in the Bible. But um, <laughs> I do find it interesting. We've got, we've got Deborah and <clears throat> Hannah and Miriam and mm. Mary. Well, let's do the narrative and then see where the conversation goes. And maybe we'll dip into the poem okay. as well. I've definitely got some thoughts about that if you want to talk about it. But yeah, why don't you do the rest of the narrative? And then and I'll go ahead and read the, the song after that. Okay. Okay, since you don't like poetry. (laughs) (sighs) Okay, I'll start with verse 8. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Very well, Deborah said. I will go with you, but because of the way you are going about this, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kaddish, where he summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, 10,000 men followed him, and Deborah also went with him. Now Heber the Kenite had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree in Zananim. Nice. Zananim, huh, near Kadesh. When they told Sisera that Barak, son of Abinom, had gone up to Mount Tabar, Sisera gathered together his 900 iron chariots and all the men with him from Hirosheth Hagoyim to the Kishon River. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabar, followed by 10,000 men. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword, And Sisera abandoned his chariot and fled on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Herosheth Hagoyim. All the troops of Sisera fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Sisera, however, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because there were friendly relations between Jabin king of Hazar and the clan of Heber the Kenite. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent, and she put a covering over him. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. 
She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone here? Say no. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. Barat came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with the tent peg through his temple, dead. On that day, God subdued Jabin the Canaanite king before the Israelites, and the hand of the Israelites grew stronger and stronger against Jabin the Canaanite king until they destroyed him. Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, on that day, that the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly. Bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, to the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped. Yes, the clouds dropped water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Yael, the highways were abandoned and the travelers kept to the byways. The villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. When new gods were chosen, then war was in the gates. Was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel? My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. Tell of it. You who ride on white donkeys, and you who sit on rich carpets, and you who walk by the way to the sound of musicians at the watering places, there they repeat the righteous triumphs of the Lord, the righteous triumphs of his villagers in Israel. Then down to the gates marched the people of the Lord. Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, break out in song. Arise, Barak. Lead away your captives, O son of Abinoam. Then down marched the remnant of the noble. The people of the Lord marched down for me against the mighty. From Ephraim, their root, they marched down into the valley, following you, Benjamin, with your kinsmen. From Macher marched down the commanders, and from Zebulun, those who bear the lieutenant's staff. The princes of Issachar came with Deborah, and Issachar, faithful to Barak, into the valley they rushed at his heels. Among the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. Why did you sit still among the sheepfolds to hear the whistling for the flocks? Among the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And Dan, why did he stay with the ships? Asher sat still at the coast of the sea, staying by his landings. Zebulun is a people who risked their lives to the death. Naphtali, too, on the heights of the field. The kings came. They fought. Then the kings of Canaan. At Taanach, by the waters of Megiddo, 
they got no spoils of silver. From heavens the stars fought, from their courses they fought against Sisera. The torrent Kishon swept them away, the ancient torrent, the torrent of Kishon. March on, my soul, with might. Then loud beat the horse's hoofs with galloping, galloping of his steeds. Curse Meros, says the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants thoroughly, because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, of tent-dwelling women most blessed. He asked for water, and she gave him milk. She brought him curds in a noble's bowl. She sent her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet, he sank. He fell. He lay still. Between her feet, he sank. He fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. Out of the window, she peered. The mother of Sisera, wailed through the lattice. Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the hoofbeats of his chariots? Her wisest princesses answer. Indeed, she answers herself. Have they not found and divided the spoil? A womb or two for every man? Spoil of dyed materials for Sisera? Spoil of dyed materials embroidered? Two pieces of dyed work embroidered for the neck as spoil? So may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might. And the land had rest for 40 years. That look on your face makes me say, that's why I don't like poetry. (laughs) (laughs) And I love it. (laughs) I was trying to give it another try. Didn't work for you? No, but um, there's so much extra detail that's not in the narrative. Yeah, yeah. Well, and 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 what I did enjoy this time was thinking about how this story would have been told after it happened. Uh huh. You know, there's you're not sending out newspapers or things like that, and and the uh, the ability to pass on stories through song. And this song in particular, if there was a tune, it would have helped. I didn't. I didn't want to make something up. You know? <laughs> a tune and a rhythm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's not until verse 24 that we start hearing about Jael and the interesting tent peg stuff. And, I, and I, I could imagine a town knowing about this story and hearing the song and just waiting for that part of the song to come. Almost this build up to, to just where uh, you might end up laughing when it gets to that part. You know, it's like watching a movie and waiting for your favorite part to come up. Or maybe I'm just violent and like that part more than others. No, no. I mean, it's classic. But I mean, I this is I, I just get a wonderful kick out of our different sensibilities. Cause I, I found I didn't find, I wasn't bored in the middle because the 12 through 18 would have been so striking to them. This listing all of the other tribes that didn't show up hmm. for the battle. Hmm. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, again, it, it goes, <laughs> it's, it's without comment in the narrative. That Zebulun and Naphtali gathered. But yeah. like here it's very and as you said, this is how the story would have been known. Probably this poem is a lot older than the narrative version right. that's comes before it. 
that this was probably handed on for generations before it was written down in narrative form. And so you get the, this, I mean, I'm pretty sure this was a Zebulun Naphtali hymn, right? <laughs> I mean, this is not a favorite yeah, yeah, song yeah. of, of, uh, Reubenites and Gileadites and Danites because it directly insults all of them and, and indicates where they live. Do you know what I mean? Right. So I, I found that part sort of kind of interesting as well as that image. You said it's that favorite part, and it is the the, the JL scene. Although we got some extra little details there that we might we want to talk about. Um, but then this last little scene that, of course, isn't narrated in the story. It's just sort of played, and it wouldn't even had to have happened. It's poetic license yeah. to say, you know, Cicero's mother waiting for him to come right, home right. from war. Where is he? Where is he? Where's all the spoils? And the and the mothering from both women. Yeah. Ooh, I didn't even think about that because Deborah is referred to as mother. Oh, sure. In yeah. Israel. Yep. So three mothers three here. Three mothers here. Yes. Ooh. No, I got distracted starting at verse 15 because it totally sounded like it was out of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Listing off all the different tribes and. And made you think about that or. Yeah. And then I bored? stopped listening for just a little bit. <laughs> But this isn't a list of tribes. This is a this is a invective, and you get extra detail. We get Ephraim and Benjamin were clearly involved, right? Mm, sure, yeah. Um, I think it's saying that some of them following you, Benjamin, with your kin- kinsmen, right? So there was this assemblage of a handful of tribes. Yeah, and I think that's a crucial theme in Judges: is that the tribes are not getting along and fighting with each other by the end of. Judges, it's not even about the Philistines anymore. It's them <laughs> killing each other. Right. So it says Issachar came along too, right? So we get a number of different groups. I think it's one, two, three, four, five, six. No, five, because then you've get you've got Reuben, Gilead, Dan, Asher, Zebulun, all who no, not Zebulun goes, right? So Reuben, Gilead, Dan, and Asher kind of sat by and didn't help out. Hmm. That, that was I, I just kind of sensed that this was the maybe I'm thinking of the whole book of Judges too that this is the which is setting up the the unification of Israel under Saul and David and right. Solomon that this is some of the beginnings of the tensions between the the tribes hmm. right that operated as you know a, a sort of common group in the wilderness uh, but then as they settle into the promised land they start to lose their sense of oneness. Hmm. I'm I'm always curious why it was a peg through the temple with a hammer. Like of all the ways to kill someone. Was that just what was lying around? Uh, I mean it seems like I don't know, a knife to the heart would be easier or it, Yeah, if you have just, one handy. Oof. That's why this phrase in verse twenty four of chapter five, the the tent dwelling women there is a kind of imagery there that if if, if she's a okay okay right okay. and it's and, and I think you're earlier that you were read you know I don't know about the Kenites but you almost get the vibe that you know you know that Heber the the Kenite that these are descendants of, of Hobab father-in-law of Moses oh there you go so these are Bedouin types yeah right so these are tent people yeah so it's kind of the so she's imag- had some practice. Well, yeah, I mean, yes, but also I'm trying to think of a contemporary example. One's not coming immediately to mind, but it's it's like the the using of 
the uh, of a making a weapon out of a something that's symbolic of the kind of people that she came from. Sure. You know, if if their liberation came through this kind of uh sort of insider outsider kind of group because Yale's this there's this Moses connection there, but it's also they were had friendly relations with with Jabin, so they were not. Yeah, know, they, yeah. They're, they're not part of the twelve tribes, and yet, which I think helps explain why it's JL who's doing this and not an Israelite woman. Yeah, because it does seem, you know, this is Israelites against. In some ways, it seems like it'd be fitting to have a an Israelite woman do this. Although, like you said, there wouldn't be that trust factor there. And classic, and classic, classic Yahweh, right? To use the. The foolish things of the world yeah. to shame the yeah. wise, right? I'd see that. I'd see this this family as Yale's family as a kind of they kind of are a, a sort of marginal, like you, they 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 could have been incorporated into one of the twelve tribes plausibly mm-hmm. because of this kind of Moses, Moses connection, connection, and yet we're not seen that way. So she kind of it's this is an overused term nowadays, but. She lives, this family's in a liminal space, right? But, but, but I think it fits yeah. as, as all Bedouin peoples tend to be. 27 really hit me. Between her feet, he sank, he yeah. fell. Ooh. Yeah. 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 That's, and that's worded very strangely too. I mean, it's repeated. At her feet, he sank, he fell, there he lay. At her feet, he sank, he fell. Mm-hmm. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. So, I mean, my hunch is it it it's it it's got killer rhythm in the ridge, right? <laughs> Did you just say in the ridge? Yeah, of course. Yeah, Why would I not say the ridge? <laughs> yeah, uh, my Hebrew's not good enough to be able to read this sight sight read it, but oh, make it up. I won't know. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Ben Raga. Liha, Kera, Nafal, Shakov, Ben, Ragaya, there it is again, Kara, Nafal. So it's the same phrase, but drops the last line the second time. Drops the last word. Yeah, Asher, Kara, Shom, Nafal. Shadud. So it's it's the part that's cool, at least looking at it, is one just being in Hebrew. It's just so many less words, right? It's just so <laughs> yeah, much more compact. Yeah. So that repetition again, if it's set to music, is very natural sometimes to say a line twice to create a expectation, right? Mm-hmm. Between her feet, he sank, he fell, he lay still. Between her feet. He sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. Right? So you spend a little time with it. But you just your eyes just got like glazed over. Get the point. <laughs> Have you ever like listened to music? <laughs> it doesn't get to the point. <laughs> you kill me. Didn't you say like it was uh this is the best point, so you're waiting for it to get yeah, right? Yeah. So it's like this is the you know <laughs> I, 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 
<laughs> when I told you we'd be switching to pistols soon, uh-huh. um, I was worried. I was like, oh, will you not enjoy that as much because you love narrative? She's like, no, I, I like Paul. I like the epistles. I was like, then what? you always say you, you prefer the narratives. <laughs> and then you clarified it for me. He's like, yeah, it's the poetry. I don't like John. <laughs> I feel like a Luddite saying that. Luddite's Luddite? the wrong word. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't Luddite some people who don't like technology? <laughs> technology. <laughs> Worst episode ever. <laughs> Gotta keep that in, man. <laughs> so this is like the perfect pair of passages for the two of us to do. Because I'm like, yeah, 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 get over the hair. Ooh, let's watch all the subtleties of language in the poem. <laughs> uh, the, the addition of Cicero's mother there at the end is pretty pretty striking. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's and, some... And disturbing. Yeah. Yeah, whether there's homiletical potential there, if it's just too disturbing to, to go there, I don't know. That's something maybe we can come back to. But All right, we'll come back and uh, explore some sermon starters. Let's take a quick break. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with Amanda Drury, our uh, most laughter-inducing guest. <laughs> Funniest guest is a better co- compliment, sorry. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, and we, during the break, we were we were talking about, I said something about the Psalms, and you were like, oh, the so- Psalms are great. I love the Psalms. And then we realized it's really just poetry that interrupts the narrative that yeah. kind of gets under your skin. Yeah, I can read a book of poems. I can go through the Psalms. But when but when a poem comes, they always seem to come after a really good story. <laughs> so, no, no, no. So you've yeah. got, um, what, Party of the Red Sea song, Hannah Wants a Baby song, uh, uh, <laughs> Temple Peg Had Killed Someone song, and then you know, Incarnation <laughs> song. song. I think it's intended to get us to stop. Well, and I imagine it's because yeah. they're so happy and grateful for what has just transpired. Yeah. They are praising the Lord. <laughs> the, the tone was praising the Lord. Good for them. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, we obviously we don't have to end up camping on the, the song very much, although I would recommend to those who might be preaching on the, the story to at least consult the the poem in chapter five for some extra little data and color commentary to help you, even if you don't end up using it in the sermon itself. So let's explore some sermon starters. Where would you want to go uh, with a text like this in your own preaching or teaching life? Yeah. So I'm feeling kind of stuck with this particular text. Uh, Normally at this point, I feel like I have a a pressing question or um, something that I'm really curious about. And, and in some ways, at least verses one through seven just feels kind of straightforward, which makes me wonder if I'm not reading it carefully enough. But yeah, nothing nothing has caught me yet. So we could move on from one to seven. Or I mean, I, one question that stayed with me that that may have homiletical potential was we, we talked a little bit about what might the relationship between Barack and Deborah be mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that predates this? Like exploring that a little imaginatively, even in a sermon could maybe have possibility. It's that or, 
why did Yael kill Sisera? That's also just kind of like a interesting unknown, yeah. right? Yeah. Her yeah. her motivation as a character mm-hmm. is left a bit to the imagination. Yeah. Um, so those would be sort of two two little questions that that still keep my curiosity going. But if neither of those really grab you, then we can go a different direction. But. Well, let me let me throw a few more out there. Um, going back to verse three, the nine hundred iron chariots, cruel oppression, twenty years they cried out for the Lord for help. I mean that that, that just seems to sum up the book of Judges, mm-hmm. the entire book. The pattern. Yeah, yeah. There's this pattern, and and. Uh, in some ways, the pattern only seems to be broken up. Well, let's see here. By p- people crying out to the Lord, by by prophets, prophetess. So that that's one of the things that sticks out to me is just the just the sheer repetitiveness of this all. Mm-hmm. And and Barack's comment: If you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. I I'm, I would love to know what he's thinking there. Is is he is he afraid? Does he think he's not going to be able to win without her there? Oh man, there's a whole sermon just on verse eight. If yeah. you want to, I'm thinking of. So I'm going to go on a little primrose path to make my point here, if that's okay. But um, one time I heard Bud Benz give a sermon just on that little verse in Luke 24, verse I think it's verse eight actually, where it says, after the angels tell the women at the tomb. Mm-hmm. That he's he is not here. He is risen, and he he is you know he suffered and died, but was raised. You know, just as he had told you. And then, as they're leaving, it says, "And they remembered what he had said hmm. as they were coming down from Galilee." That, and then he asked this question. It's a very it's and so it ends up being like a very loose connection to the text at hand, but it gets us started, and it's a very scriptural sermon from there. He asks. How did they forget? Huh. Right? Huh. And and then he explores different things that would cause us to forget the promise. Mm. Oh, that's right? good. That's good. And again, this is a very loose uh but it, and then the sermon, it's like one of, I remember when I heard it, I was kind of thinking like, well, this isn't really a sermon on Luke 24 in a way. And yet it was a like it was a sermon on the whole Gospel of Luke, you know, because he huh. kind of went into the different things that disciples get distracted by. Yeah. And I don't actually remember his three points, but it's just that it, it was a very, it was a homiletical uh, maneuver mm-hmm. that I kind of tucked in my pocket, specifically thinking that could be really useful on a text where I don't know what to, where to go. <laughs> and I wonder yeah. if this could be an opportunity to, 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 to try that out as a, at least as a thought experiment, if you'd like to try that. Yeah. Why did he want her to come to just ask that and, you know, and explore different yeah. possibilities? Was he afraid we could talk about that. And then you can explore this possibility. She'd been a judge for a long time. Had Her her statement in verse 7 is a question implying that, that this command had already come from the Lord. So maybe she was aware of this. Maybe he'd received that on a previous visit. Mm-hmm. So you could explore their, their relationship behind that. The reference to the glory. Was he seeking, um, you know, was he seeking some kind of honor or glory hmm. in this? Hmm. Um, and, uh, what did he not think the, the, because it's obvious from, again, this is when the, the next chapter can be helpful reminder, since not all the tribes are uniting and Barak doesn't appear 
to be from those particular tribes um, that the uh, that he's trying to well, he seems to be a Naphtalian, right? Yeah. But that he's trying to maybe he's worried that he won't be able to gather all the tribes together, and maybe he's thinking, oh, she has a lot of sway, yeah. right? Yeah. So trying to bring her in. Um, so is he is he being cunning? Is he afraid? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. trying to find different possibilities. Yeah, and I've always felt kind of bad for him. Yeah. Because, I mean, he's just wanting her to go with him. <laughs> I mean, look at look at the other times in Scripture. Well, even in Judges where, where people have put out fleeces or they're wanting reassurance of one sort or another. And he's yeah. not really he's not really being punished That's right. for this. That's right. It's uh it's it, it could be taken as a I, I don't think it's uh I think rebuke was the right word, I think is what we used earlier. There's rebuke but not punishment. It's not oh you'll you know, have something bad come to you. Yeah. It's more just so you know, you're not gonna get uh to take out the leader. You know? <laughs> That's going to be deprived from you and given to to someone perceived as lesser. And if he is asking her out of fear, he's probably like, I, I don't care. I don't care. Just get me out of <laughs> her alive. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> See, and you could play with that in a sermon. You could play with the things that slow us down. I really like the the thought of him as as a delayer. But maybe that's because I'm a delayer. And so I see that in him. Hmm. You know? like Sure. Yeah, yeah. We should... We should definitely uh, make a make a big change to society or to these institutions. Yeah, that'd be a good idea to do next year. Let's study it for a while, right? Like always wanting to push it back. What did you say when we were? Uh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Good. I wonder. I wonder if this is him asking for legitimacy. Yeah. That he's questioning his call. He's got this thing that God has called him to do. But he's going to feel a whole lot better doing it if he's got this official person next oh, to him. Oh, my heavens. I resonate with that. That's me all the time. I always want someone to come with me to give me authority in the yeah. sense that I – and legitimacy. I like that. Yeah. Which is shame. That's what's underwriting that, right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. now we've got at least two things. Fear. Mm-hmm. We have some shame, you know. Yeah. And anxiety about not being legitimized, yeah. authorized. And she she just ha- carries a lot of weight. You know, and so he wants to kind of hide behind her a little bit. And again, not punished, but rebuked, just reminded. Yeah, but the, you know, you're not going to get the glory. Yeah. I wonder if something could be said to a congregation in terms of asking, what is it that the Lord is calling you to do? And acknowledging how scary that can be. Mm-hmm. And doing a, hey, it would it would be great if you had all the faith that you needed to muster in, in a and accomplish this whole task. But if you need to bring a friend, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, maybe this is too cute, but it's okay to ask, you know, who's your Barack? Mm-hmm. Who's your Deborah? Mm-hmm. Right. Depending on which side of that equation you sense you're on. Yeah. So if you sense that if you sense some resonance with Deborah, you're a, you're, you're a judge and elder a yeah, wise person. Yeah. And you see a calling on someone's life that perhaps they're too yes. afraid to take. Yes. That so what would blame. it look like for you to come alongside of them and remind them of what they know to be true? 
and uh, and walk with them if that's what they yeah. need. <laughs> yeah. Accommodate that. Mm-hmm. And then the fun little twist you could play then is to, is to bring in Yale at the end, right? <laughs> yeah. Where you say, <laughs> and who's your Yale? Who's that person that you didn't expect? Right. It's actually the one who's yeah. gonna, who's gonna, um, yeah, strike the final blow. I, I mean, it's unfortunate. Or, um, or, or the person you'll be tempted to be jealous of later. Ooh, 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 ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The person that you're going to be afraid to bring in to, to help because they might take the glory. That's good. So there's fear because we desire safety. Mm-hmm. There's shame because we desire glory. Mm-hmm. Right. No, I dig that. Who you're going to be jealous of later. Mm-hmm. Be ready for that. Get started. Um, Though there's rebuke in this, all rebuke, all judgment is an act of mercy when it's truly divine, you know? And so mm-hmm. there's a sense That's in which line. there's a preparing, thank you, mm-hmm. uh, a preparing of Barack's soul for the, for the letting go of that moment now in advance, yeah. you know, uh, get ready. The, the glory is not going to come to you. Um, side note, how, how should we say her name? I, I, I always have a hard time with. Uh, the people that I know that have named their daughters that they've yeah. said JL, 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 like two syllables, mm-hmm. okay. like a southerner saying JL, <laughs> JL. <laughs> I like it. I just lost some listeners. Kind of <laughs> Sorry, South. Well, no, you're saying it helps. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I, I, I always struggle with whether to like do the 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 soft J, you know, like. Uh, more like Hebrew sounds like Yael, I think would be how to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I don't want to sound snooty, like oh, I'm pronouncing Hebrew, you know. Yeah. De- yeah. Deborah, I was, yeah. Yeah. I don't think I did that today. But a couple of <laughs> times I almost said Deborah, and I knew you totally would. I would have rolled my. You eyes. would have rolled my eye verbally. Too. Deborah, <laughs> Deborah, and Barak, and Yael, and Sisera. <laughs> Those, I don't know if those are more correct, actually. It might just be to sound different, but yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a struggle because I think there's an identification with a character. And it's like I really struggle in sermons when there is an identification with the character. Like for me, in my own personal study, if I connect with a particular character, great. I don't mm-hmm. really have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. But when I'm preaching, I kind of want to present multiple characters to identify with, but then that can lead to a kind of multiple choice, choose your adventure kind of altar call yeah. that drive me bonkers. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. if you're like Deborah, maybe you need to do this. Uh-huh, if uh-huh. you're like Barat, right. Or you're preaching everything to nobody. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. It's a multi-purpose room sermon. <laughs> yeah. Right. If you, if you're like JL, pick up your tent peg and put it through the temple of the devil. Or right? I don't know. Like, I feel like it can get, so I'm I'm really torn and maybe that's maybe I'm getting too generic, but I would love your advice since you as a preacher of narratives always do an excellent job of kind of creating an identification and connection with the characters. Mm, mm. Um how do you steer the middle path between a kind of sort of rushing to what you connect with sure. exclusively? And just projecting that onto your congregation yeah. versus the kind of choose your own adventure problem that is too, I think, abstract and doesn't really land. I, how do you, how have you solved that as a preacher over the years? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, it depends on the story because you have some narratives where the the purpose is a contrast between two people. 
Ah, yeah, so, you have so that, that Thomas and uh, Pilate, you have a sermon where you play right, those off right. each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, the, you know, Mary, Martha, Jacob, Esau, mm-hmm. uh, the younger son, older son. So, so there's some that seem to almost beg a, a comparison. Uh, but even then, I don't think you have to go there. I, I think you can get an entire congregation to resonate with a single character if you go deep enough into the emotions of that person the, yeah. the, the do you know you you know what it's like to feel that kind of fear to try to tap into something something universal there in this particular case i don't know i don't know if i would narrow it down to one or or uh, bring out the relationship of the two well if we camped on Barack's, as we already mentioned two aspects of why he didn't go mm-hmm the the possibility of fear that's well founded nine hundred yeah, iron yeah. chariots and the a li- maybe a little bit of shame or embarrassment and wanting the legitimacy I thought I'd just ask do you sense just kind of reading between the lines what would be or starting from our own experience back what are the other kinds of things that get us to delay acting on the word of God yeah and seeking confirmation seeking accompaniment seeking yeah. glory seeking safety let me okay let me let me shift just a little bit here please because this story here of barack I, I you could almost tell tell this story tell the sermon in three different parts with only the middle one being one that we have access to okay so and, and and name it that way too. You know, the, the first, we don't have we don't have access to the first part of the story, but somewhere in there, Barack's got some kind of calling in his life. Uh, who knows why he didn't act on it? Maybe this, maybe this, maybe that. You know, we come to this middle part, and then you're focusing on the, um, you know, what do you need from those around you in order to, in order to overcome whatever it is that's holding you back. Uh, and then the last part of the story that we don't read is is then how do you how do you respond when God's uh, when God's word is fulfilled, when you see other people participating in it, mm-hmm. yeah, I'd have to, I'd have to think of that some more. I'm not sure that I'm, I'm not sure I'd go with that. Man, I'm just, this is, I'm getting stuck, but it's fun. Worst episode ever. <laughs> <laughs> no, normally by this I'm point, teasing, I feel I'm like, teasing. <laughs> I feel like there's, um, there's at least a, a clear trailhead to follow. I mean. I'm just going to be a stinker and say, like, if I was really, and I'm just going to throw this out for our listeners, like, of course, we're just, you know, recording a podcast here, so we're not under the gun. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but I mean, I've been stuck Saturday night, <laughs> Sunday morning, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I'm this far where I'm like, I've dug in the text. And this is a reason to say it's okay to just dig in the text and you know, recognize that you're, cause you're going to have stuff to work with when, when things strike. Right. And I got to be honest, people, this is cheating, but most people don't really know much about the Bible. Hmm. You could probably just tell the story. <laughs> you know what I mean? And just fill in some, yeah. just fill in yep. some of the gaps. Yep. Yeah. And just hug it real close. Yeah. Cause it's a killer story. It's so killer. Sorry. And, and, and I, I, <laughs> You know, it's a killer story. That's I mean, I, I, I want to say a sermon should have a theme and a focus and 
because I want it to be oriented towards life change and not just information. I don't want to just inform people about the Bible. I want them to have a transforming moment with the Lord. But at the same time, who am I to say that I have to generate that uh, by having a sort of topical theme sure. woven through? Maybe you just tell the story and throw out some of these thoughts and uh, see what happens, you know, um, especially because at the end you, you could, you, you know, you could sort of ask, you know, you know what? I think you already asked the que- the burning question that you asked. It's affecting me even as we speak today, which is what's what's standing in the way of well, what are the excuses mm-hmm. that I'm or, or what's standing in the way of me uh, uh, doing that which I sense the Lord has told me to do? You know that that's a question that could really land. You know, mm. yeah. Yeah. You're getting ready to say something, I think. And I oh, off, oh, uh, just that if I were to do that type of sermon, you know, just hugging the text really closely, I would go from verse one until verse 24. Yeah. Whole thing. Yeah. Whole chapter. Yeah. No question. And chapter five. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. I knew that was coming. <laughs> no, 24. I totally agree. The whole story works great. Hey, let's keep it rolling. Paul just walked in. Say hi to everybody, Paul. Mama? Yes, yeah, sweetie. Can you use screens? <laughs> you use screens? <laughs> what time is it? You know what, Paul? You can. You have a few minutes before bed. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, open the door before you go through it, buddy. So as you can tell, dear listener, we're experimenting with recording our podcast in the evening with the children running around. And <laughs> I thought, yeah, okay. just leave it in. Uh, one thing that I have always wondered... Yeah, um, throw it out. A pressing question that I don't know that this would fit in anywhere, but it's the it's the story of JL caring for Sisera. You know, he mm-hmm. asks for water. She gives him milk. She she's going above and beyond what he is asking for, and it. I mean, it just sounds manipulative. Covering him up. Yeah, covering him up. You know, babying him, mothering him, and then going in for the kill. Well, it's like I say, this whole other question of. I mean, maybe I'm reading into it, but I think I think she perceives a threat here, even of a violation to her. Hmm. You know what I mean? Hmm. I'm not sure she feels safe. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. Um, yeah, right at the end of the show, bringing that up. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> That's on me. She's, but a, she's like one of the adulterous women's in Pro- woman in Proverbs who calls you into the street. <laughs> That's not how I see it at all. Yeah, I know. I yeah, know. I, I'm flipping it around and saying... She's if she's out in a tent out in the middle of nowhere, mm. she has no. That's the that's why I'm saying it's not a woman on the street, a harlot on the street calling him in. Yeah. This is a yeah. This is a sort of man demanding to be uh, taken care of. Yeah, and yeah, man. This is a story where the women, the women are are carrying the authority and the power here. Mm-hmm. And uh, the men are seeking to be led, guided, mm-hmm. accompanied. Where's Hay Bear? <laughs> Hay Bear. <laughs> Her husband. Yeah. Uh, right? Yeah. It's his wife, it's but his she's wife. not mentioned. Is he off traveling? Did he help with the battle? <laughs> He's probably... Um, He's hanging out with Lapidoth. <laughs> <laughs> right, where are the husbands? 
That's, there's a whole other sermon. It's Lapidoth and Haybear out at a bar <laughs> talking. Over drinks. Meanwhile, their wives are cleaning so up. My, so yeah, my my wife, she's always out holding court, <laughs> settling disputes. She just ran off for like a week with with this young man, Brock, to go with 10,000 more. I don't get it. I don't understand what she does. The neighbor is like, you think that's bad? <laughs> That's just a fun short story. <laughs> I've done that. You've seen me do it. Uh, I've written it in little journal entries that I've shown you and stuff where I'll just sometimes play little games, write little short stories almost as it were, you yeah, know, around yeah. a character. Yeah. Um, and usually that kind of stuff never makes its way into a sermon proper, but it's just great background that adds some some weight and it adds some depth dimension. You know, uh-huh. you can just tell you preach teachings it, preach teaching <laughs> teach preaching you can just tell when a preacher has spent a lot of time with a text it's not that they have more data yeah thrown out at you you just sense there's oh you've spent time with this text you have a relationship with this text and so it's coming out in just the way uh-huh. you talk about these characters like you've met them that's what and i feel like sometimes we can just do that especially with narratives if you just do that then you know your sermon can take a lot of different directions, and yeah. as long as it's yeah. kind of drawing on a on a long, you know, uh, time spent with the text, there's going to be some benefit. Okay, I have an idea. Yeah, pitch it. Maybe, maybe the people we need to be comparing to each other are Barack and JL, okay. and how they respond to opportunities that God gives them. Hmm. So, so Barack is afraid to move forward even with a, a clear word from mm-hmm. the Lord, without kind of the authority of someone else. Whereas JL is by herself, and sh- she didn't wake up that morning thinking, I'm going to kill Sisera. Mm-hmm. He, he walks into her life, and she takes what she has, what she already has on her, uh, and, and gets the job done. So uh, both of them end up, you know, fulfilling the will of, the will of God here, uh, and delivering the Israelites, but, but the spirit in which they go about doing them now, like you said, maybe she's under some kind of duress with this, but 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 this is a story of a woman who is taking inventory of what she has near, around her and doing what she can with it. Yeah, I'm seeing some of your innovation themes coming out in that, where you're resourcing, like what's right. what do I have right. at hand? And actually, the fact that she's under duress, even if that's possible, that can be relevant. Yeah, because it's not waiting for the conditions to be right, checking with her husband, Hey Bear, before yep. she does it. Yeah. Oh, I don't have a weapon at hand. Oh, right? I'll, I'll like, yeah. what am I supposed to do with the enemy yeah. of, you know, you know, this huge enemy? All I have here is milk, a blanket, and I'm in a tent. Yeah. No, I think that's good. And actually, you could have a sermon that focuses on Barack and what got in the way and then make that turn to mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. contrast. Because that contrast, the te- we would be being faithful to the text because verse 9, the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman which is implied as kind of a shame to him, invites us to play them off each other. Yeah, yeah, right? yep. And and the poem then confirms that. Sorry to bring the poem in one last time. <laughs> but okay. it confirms it by all the theme, you know, even the word bless the Lord, which ha- rhymes, It's that's barakah, barak with a K, hmm. versus barak with a Q. Uh, they're, they're, the bless the lords that keep being repeated okay. is similar to the name because hmm. the word that's bless, but Barak means blessing or blessed. So 
it, the beginning half of the poem sets it up to all be about Barack and then it twists and it's all about, yeah. yeah right. Yeah. So there's a confirmation that like, you know, she really is the one who sort of is the arm of the Lord, right. the, the strength of the Lord being enacted. You just had a giggle. What did I miss? Is Barack. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. That's what that is. That song from from the nineties, right? From the nineties. Nineties gospel tune. Barack, hallelujah. Barack, praise the Lord. Barack, dun 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 dun. dun, dun. Right? Isn't there that little breakdown? <laughs> but that's <laughs> different. Yeah, cut on that part. No, no, no. Keep the song in. I like that. <laughs> Well, great. Thanks so much for giving the time and thanks for, for pushing through when it got a little, when we were both feeling a little stuck. Well, yeah, now I want to have the whole conversation over again because well, we I, could. because I, because, <laughs> uh, I, I, I'd love to, to do a whole sermon around those two now. Well, Paul's on his iPad. We could start it over <laughs> if you want. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to study the text and push on through and, and explore different possibilities and, Thanks, uh, Todd and Eric, for their great production work. I can't imagine doing this without you guys. Uh, thanks to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. And thanks most of all to you listeners uh, for listening week in, week out, and getting the word out to your friends through various and sundry means. And with that, we say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. <laughs>